Welcome to And Justice for All, the official podcast of Roosevelt University, exploring the relationship between education and justice, and the transformative power of inclusive education. Hosted by Roosevelt University President Ali Maletzadeh. The last 18 months have been tumultuous as America has faced a series of crises, a global pandemic that brought the economies of the world to a standstill, a bitterly contested presidential election that ended with baseless claims of election fraud and left the nation as divided as ever, and a rise in politically motivated violence and extremism that culminated with an attack on the U.S. Capitol. With all of this uncertainty, what is the future and possibility of the American dream? Is there still hope and opportunity? These questions and more will be explored at this year's American Dream Reconsidered Conference. This conference provides an occasion to refocus our attention on the future on how social justice can be promoted in the areas of healthcare, education, and culture, and how the idea of the American dream can sustain us with a new vision of hope and opportunity. The conference will be held from November 1st through the 4th. For the next several weeks leading up to the conference, I will be turning over the podcast to Professor Andrew Trees who is co-chair of the Programming Committee. In this week's episode, Andy will be interviewing Dean Cammy McBride. Dean McBride will be moderating our November 4th panel, Women's Leadership and Gender Equity in Law and Medicine, which is being sponsored by the Women's Leadership Council. She will be talking with Andy Harris, author and partner at McDermott, Will, and Emory, and Dr. Niloum Agrawal, Associate Professor of Neurological Science at Rush Medical Center. Issues of sex and gender equity remain as relevant as ever, and I'm excited about the upcoming panel. Andy and Cammy talk about sex and gender equity, but also chat about family life, and how one handles the many challenges that true equity creates, even on the home front. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to And Justice for All, the official podcast of Roosevelt University, where we explore the relationship between education and justice and the transformative power of inclusive education. I'm Andrew Trees, one of the programming co-chairs for this year's American Dream Reconsidered Conference. President Malexade has kindly turned the podcast over to me for the next few weeks to talk with some of the people who are involved in this year's conference, which will be held from November 1st to November 4th. In this week's episode, we're very fortunate to have a chance to talk with Dean Cammy McBride. She'll be moderating our November 4th panel, Women's Leadership and Gender Equity in Law and Medicine, sponsored by the Women's Leadership Council. She'll be talking with Andy Harris, author and partner at McDermott, Will & Emery, and Dr. Neelam Agarwal, Associate Professor of Neurological Science at Rush Medical Center, in what I'm sure will be a fascinating discussion. 
Professor McBride is currently Dean of the College of Arts and Sciences and the former chair of the psychology department. Her research has focused on adolescent development, family therapy, developmental psychopathology, and the training of psychologists. She's published widely on these and a number of other issues, and I'm really looking forward to chatting with her more today about the issue of gender equity. Welcome, Dean McBride. Thanks very much, Andy. How are you? I'm great, thanks. Thanks so much for taking some time to talk with us. Uh, Before we actually get into gender equity, I'm just curious to learn a little bit more about how you uh, became interested in psychology and ended up uh, going into academia in in that area. So uh, what, uh, what got you interested initially? Uh, that's a great question. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're asking to give me a moment to, to think back on my history about how I got here. One of my very, I, I won't make this too long, but one of my very first jobs was working in a daycare center when I was in high school working with children. And I always knew that I wanted to work with children and I got very interested in child development. And so going into psychology was a way to do that and to help children and their families be more successful. So my original plan was to be a practitioner and never thought I would go into academia, but along the way discovered that I really enjoyed research and I really enjoyed teaching. And so that's how I ended up in academia. Being dean was never really part of what I was (laughs) considering for my future, but I think it actually uses a lot of the skills of my field, problem solving, trying to help people be successful, brainstorming about people's behavior. It's all part of of being Dean. So I am enjoying the role, but that's a little bit about my interest in psychology and and how I got to to this point in my career. That's great. I know from my own training that when you train a a discipline, it gets you to see the world in a certain way. So I'm curious, as a psychologist, how does that shape the way you see the world now? Uh, Also a great question. I think that I really see the world in thinking about people's behavior from multiple perspectives. One of the things that you learn in psychology is that no behavior is determined by any one factor. There's usually always multiple factors involved in people's behavior. And so that's how I perceive working with others. I'm also, again, a big fan of, of research, so I like data. And so I like you know uh, using information appropriately. And so that's very much how I try to approach my, my current role, but also how I see the world. How do we know this? How do we know that this is accurate information? How did we come to this information? Uh, that's very much a part of my training as a psychologist. This is I, I, this wasn't on my list, but I'm going to throw this out there because as you're talking about this, it's I'm very interesting. So I know all of us, as we're kind of still in this late stage of COVID, a lot of changes. It's been really stressful for people, and you probably actually have a lot of experience dealing with that with people. So what is your advice to all of us to basically relax, calm down, return to some sort of normal state of feeling and emotion? That. I'm going to try to stop saying that's a good question, but you're full of good (laughs) questions. I think what you just said, to be kind to yourself and to think that this too shall pass. This is a a time frame where we're experiencing a lot of stress. I don't want to underestimate the amount of stress that people are experiencing. It's a very stressful time. There's so many things happening, but we will get to, I think, a better place eventually. And we just have to be kind to ourselves and patient with ourselves that we will get through this and come out the other side. It's just a matter of time, I hope. Mm -hmm. I think that's very good advice. The title of the panel you're going to be moderating is Women's Leadership and Gender Equity in Law and Medicine. 
And I'm sure you face similar questions in your own professional career. So I'm curious what kind of progress you've seen or lack of progress, if that's the case, uh, in this area, in the time you've been uh, working in the university and, and before also when you were practicing. Sure. I definitely have seen a lot of progress, certainly within my own career in terms of experiences that I've had as as a woman in the field. I mean, I can even say, you know, at the university, the number of female faculty has increased since I started at Roosevelt. The number of experiences that I have have diminished. And I think I've been fortunate in terms of having experiences that were not equitable it still happens, mm-hmm. and it still happens every day, but I think we we have improved quite a bit. I mean, in my lifetime, it was the case that women couldn't get their a credit card in their own name, <laughs> and so that's that just blows my mind to imagine a society like that. Uh, we're, we're not there anymore, but we still have a lot of inequities in terms of pay between women and men, and so I think there's still room to grow, but definitely a lot of progress particularly in how we handle, say, parenting. Hmm. It used to be something that only women had to deal with. And so I think now society realizes that it's it's families that need to deal with parenting, um, families of, you know, of all different varieties. And how do we, how do we recognize that people have children in their lives and how to better support them in that regard? That's something that's definitely changed in my career. I'm curious. So you mentioned, obviously, pay differentials, uh, family, and the kind of lack of equity and a lot of that, the way that works. And there's a variety of other areas. Is there one area you think, if you could pick, like you think is the most pressing issue where you'd really love to see it addressed kind of more systematically and taken on and improved on? I would say pay equity. Mm-hmm. Uh, honestly, I think that that's something, I mean, it's it's, again, I'm thinking like a psychologist, it's something that has multiple causes. Um, one cause, if I were just going to pick one, would be how women present themselves and negotiate and that women tend to start off behind because they don't necessarily negotiate for what they're worth. And I think that that's, uh, it's compounded over time. And then for different companies or universities to address that takes a real concerted effort to be able to, to try to fix that problem. It's something that's it's not that that's not an easy fix, but I think we'll go a long way towards women's contributions being more valued in the workplace. Mm-hmm. I know we'll see if we can get some progress there. I know it's been very slow, but incremental. Yeah. So I know that one of your areas of expertise is working with adolescents, and I have a 13 year old boy who is definitely showing signs of adolescence. I don't know if I call it early onset adolescence, but. Uh, <laughs> Any advice for me? As I, I find it, uh, he's really wonderful. He's becoming his own person, but it's also very challenging. I feel like there is a lot going on in his development right now, and I'm not always uh, don't have a clear grasp of how I should be handling it. Oh, I have two adolescents. I should I should disclose. Uh, my daughter just turned 18, and my son is 15. So I don't know if they'll be listening to this podcast. I hope not. <laughs> um, I I actually enjoy adolescents quite a bit. I sometimes compare them to toddlers. And if you can think back to your son's toddler age, where they have a lot of interests and desires and wants and energy that they bring towards the world. But unlike toddlers, adolescents also have much more ability to reason and figure things out and to problem solve. That doesn't always necessarily mean they choose the best problem solving approach. 
but they're they're trying on different ways of you know navigating the world and i usually try to remember that you know give them a little time and they'll probably be able to come back to whatever's going on and think about it a different way if you wait them out <laughs> i also try to remember that uh, you know as much as they may argue or disagree with me uh, or be assertive with me, that will be very useful to them in the future. That that skill and that ability to disagree or express their displeasure will serve them well going forward. We, we don't necessarily want individuals who simply take what they're given and don't sort of fight for more. Mm-hmm. And so try to remember that, I guess, when they're arguing with you, <laughs> that they're, they're, they're flexing their new problem-solving abilities. And it's our job as parents to guide them in the best ways to do that. And that it's, it's not necessarily a personal challenge to you. It's them trying on different strategies. And it's our job to help them figure out the one that's going to work for them right now and one that will perhaps work for them in the future. Well, let me ask you about that because I do find sometimes when I feel like I'm trying to be helpful, I'm making this my personal therapy session. When I try to be helpful, he thinks I'm trying to tell him what to do in ways that makes him very unhappy. So what's a good way that I can support him, let him know I'm there for him, try to offer advice when I think he needs it, but in a way that he finds more palatable? Sure. Um, Try asking him. Say, you know, do you want some advice? Do you want some sympathy? Help me understand what, 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 what are you looking for? And he may not have the words for it, but he may surprise you and say, you know what? I just want to vent. I just want to, you know, get this off my chest. Then your job is to listen. You know, we often want to, we never want to see our, our children hurt or hurting or sad or experiencing any, any negative emotions, but to allow them to figure it out on their own will mean they'll have more ownership of it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, letting him guide the interaction, though that's not always easy, um, I think is a good way to, to, to address it. You know, ask, ask him what he needs in that moment. And he may look at you like you've lost your mind, but, you know, because this is not necessarily perhaps what you've done in the past, but he might appreciate it too, and that you're asking for him for his opinion. I like that. I'll give that a try. And I'm curious. So obviously all this, uh, it occurs within a family context and, and the issues you're going to be discussing about gender and sex equity. Family is a big part of that. How can we get our families to function in a way that's more equitable, both in terms of gender uh, and sex and gender, but also just in terms of parents and children? And, you know, it's a, it's a complicated unit with a lot of things going on. Uh, yeah, I agree. I, I think that COVID has really sort of trying to think of the right analogy here, like revealed any potential dysfunction when we were all home on our, you know, with our families, we, we couldn't escape, if you will, to school or to work. Um, so we saw how things were working or not working. I'm going to return to the to a theme of, of conflict that having the conversation that you're avoiding is probably a good way to do it. <laughs> But to do it in a kind way, right? Particularly with with your partner, to have a kind conversation about what's working and not working, and to own what's not working for you, and not necessarily accuse or be defensive when your partner maybe brings up things that aren't working for them. And same with with kids as well. Uh, teenagers can do this to some extent. Younger children, it's it, it's harder because they don't have the reasoning skills that teens do. But to have family meetings about, okay, we have this 
we have this situation and let everybody have a say so. And then everybody has, again, more ownership of it about something that's working or not working. Take, for example, finding space in the house where everyone needs to work. Um, you know, what's, what's the best way to do that? And can we take turns? And there are times when it's, you know, kids don't need to be online, but, but family members do. So how can, how can you have those conversations? But rather than letting it just sort of get swept under the rug to address them more directly. Well, let me ask a follow-up question. I'm quite curious about this because, I, you know, more and more couples have kids and have two careers and it's very challenging to manage. And the old traditional model, right, where it was the idea was the husband was the breadwinner and you got these different spheres that you did your work in. And then it was much kind of neater. It wasn't necessarily fair, but it was at least like everyone knew what they did. And I feel like it's a lot messier now. How do you manage that when everyone's a little stretched a little thin and, you know, you're kind of all struggling to figure out how to make it work? Outsource. Outsource whatever you can afford to outsource. And that, I mean, and it, it varies, right? I mean, some families can trade babysitting with with other families at, at no cost. Can you get a meal planning service if cooking is an, an area of, of argument? Can you find a an outside uh, working location if you're limited on space in your house and that sort of outsourcing? So I think outsource, I say that, you know, somewhat tongue in cheek, but I, I definitely believe in outsourcing. But uh, deeper than that is asking for help mm-hmm. and recognizing you can't possibly do it all. There's a, there's a someone who said, and I'm, I apologize for not crediting them, you know, you can have it all, just not all at the same time. <laughs> so how do you, you know, how do you ask for, for help? Because you can't possibly do it all. You and your partner, it, 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 there's, there's literally too much. So how can you get assistance with areas that you're not as good in. If you're not the most organized, let your partner do the organizing. If you're better at cooking, you do the cooking, but your partner does the cleaning. Um, you know, how can you, but it, it, it's having that conversation about where you can ask for help when you need it and not trying to be superwoman or superman to try to do it all by yourself because it's just, it's just not possible to, to something's got to give. I love that outsourcing idea because I feel like otherwise you've got the pie and you're just trying to redivide it in some way. But if you outsource, the pie gets bigger, right? There's suddenly more time because you freed up these chunks. Exactly. Think yes. I think that's that's very powerful. I really like that. I'm going to have to, yeah, to do a deep dive. And, Someone's yeah. going to be unhappy with their tiny slice of pie. So <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Outsource. Yeah. Definitely. That's really good. All right. I have one more question. I'm curious about this. I'm sorry, Mona, you popped up. I'm, I'm just kind of shut down. So you're, you're a dean, which is very demanding. You have these two tiny teenage children, which is also very demanding. You must be really good at managing your time. So I'm curious, <laughs> what secret tips can you give to the rest of us about how to get more done in the same amount of time without <laughs> going crazy? I don't know that I have mastered this by any stretch of the imagination, but I do prioritize sleep, exercise, and eating well. And if I do, if I can get all of those things to three things to align, which trust me does not always happen, I can be a more efficient time manager. So those those are always my goals is to and that's it's self care. It's taking care of yourself. You know, that's it's that sort of cliched expression of put your own oxygen mask on first so you can help others, right? So take care of yourself and then you can fit things into your time and ask for help um, and ask for, you know, people to assist you. And then part, part of being 
I think a, a good dean is knowing when to delegate. I'm still working on that, but I think that's true for anybody. What can you delegate? Can you teach your elementary school age children how to do laundry? Can you teach them how to set the table? Can you teach your teenage children how to, you know, wash sheets? Whatever it takes. So that's great. You know, it's funny. I had I went around my class the other day, and were, I was asking them if they had one habit to change. What would it be? And the number of people who either had sleep issues, right? They stay up all night, or a terrible diet where they're eating tons of candy or whatever. I was mm-hmm. like, I feel like maybe we should just stop class. I should bring in like a health specialist. We should I talk to some of things. I think that's so true, right? Those things, like that's just sort of the building blocks of just feeling good, having energy, all those sorts of things. Right. Yeah. You could do so much more if you're if you're feeling better. Definitely. I'm going to put the cheeseburger away in front of me now and go get a salad. There's, there's a time and a place for cheeseburgers. <laughs> there really are. Uh, you've advised and mentored many students over the years. Uh, I'm just curious what advice you tend to give to your female students about dealing with the issues of sex and gender inequity that they're going to probably face in their careers. I have, I, I think I would probably give several piece of, pieces of advice, and I have given this type of advice in the past. One is to recognize that conflict is an inevitable part of any workplace and that one has to be comfortable with directly addressing conflict. It's something that I've had to learn in my own career of how to address something that I think is a problem, that I imagine the other person is not going to agree with me on this problem. What I found repeatedly is though, if I address it directly, it usually turns out better than I expect and usually has a better end result than than if I avoid the conflict. A lot of people don't like to do this. We're not really taught how to do this, but I think it's the key to getting to a more satisfactory solution to all kinds of problems. And with that, I would also add the other thing, the bit of advice I would give would be flexibility, that there will be times where you can't get a a satisfactory resolution to a problem and you kind of have to go with it. Not that one should put up with gender inequity, but often there's a future time or a future place to be able to, to deal with it. So to Go with the flow in the moment and consider how to address it in the future. And that kind of flexibility, I think, is important. I, I need to come by your office and get a little training and conflict. Uh, I, I, that's not a that's not a strong suit of mine. I tend to avoid it, so that's I could use some work on that. <laughs> it, always remember, it usually comes up better than you think. So that's yeah, really I think that's right. I think that's right. It's the anxiety of it that's in some ways far worse than the actual. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm curious. So in the panel, is there uh, an area or a question you're particularly interested in raising with the panelists? Well, I'm, I'm curious to know about the fields that they're coming from. I've been working for a university, probably honestly, since that job in the daycare, I've been working in various <laughs> university settings and not too many other settings. So I'm curious about the medical field, the law field, other other industries, how these fields are approaching these issues and what can we learn from each other? So I think to have different um, experts from different areas will be very beneficial to share information about how we can make progress forward. Fantastic. The overarching theme of this year's conference is hope and opportunity, the future and possibility of the American dream. And I'm just wondering if you have some reasons for us to be optimistic about the future of the American dream, particularly when it comes to this issue of gender equity. Once again, it's a great question. I think that, you know, there has been a lot of progress in this area. Like I said, within my lifetime, it's 
it, it, sometimes it almost seems exponential and then other times it seems it's moving at a snail's pace. But I think that society is, is recognizing this issue. You hear about it a lot more than earlier in my career. It's just come to the forefront of individuals thinking. Uh, it's on social media. I think with how information can be shared in our society, you can't hide from these issues anymore. Um, that doesn't mean that we necessarily have the best solutions, but I think the awareness of them is a huge step in the right direction. So that gives me hope. That gives me hope that we'll be able to try to address these. There, again, there are still many, many problems to address, but like my approach to conflict, I hope if we address them head on, <laughs> we'll be able to solve some of them. Fantastic. Well, Dean McBride, thank you so much for taking time to chat with me today. Uh, if people out there would like to uh, listen to any of the podcasts, including this one, they can go to roosevelt.edu backslash podcast. And I hope that everyone who listens to this will find their interest peaked and they will be uh, attending the American Dream Conference, which is going to be from November 1st to November 4th. Thanks again, Dean McBride. It's been great talking with you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And Justice for All is produced by Roosevelt University and is available at roosevelt.edu or anywhere you get your podcasts. The music for And Justice for All is written and produced by Jesse Case. Thanks for listening.